Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to today's episode. So this episode is all about showing up for yourself. A couple of episodes ago, I did a whole ep on showing up for other people and the importance of showing up for other people. So I actually think it's really good to listen to these two episodes together. So one doesn't have to come before the other, but I think it's really good so you understand the contrast of the two because it helps you be a better friend, a better partner, a better, you know, person in society in general and you gain from that. But also understanding the difference between showing up for somebody versus putting everyone before you because there's a massive difference, okay? And this episode is going to cover the importance of showing up for yourself. And ideally, if you do both properly, then you're going to feel a whole lot more, well, happier in general, but you're going to feel more well-rounded. You're going to feel like you've filled up your cup before you're going up and filling other people's cups without feeling like you're leaving other people in the back burner or feeling like your actions are selfish. A lot of people feel a lot of guilt around doing things for themselves. So hopefully this episode will shake that off. It's going to clarify a lot of things and you're going to feel really excited and comfortable and confident to kind of step into this new phase where you really are showing up for yourself in the right ways. So I've got 10 things to focus on in today's episode around showing up for yourself. And then at the end, I'm also going to explain what it is not So what you shouldn't be confusing it for, okay? Uh, I have a brain fact and I also have a listener question at the end. As always, I just quick little reminder, if you have a listener question and you would like to write in, just email info at dyfmpod.com. Now I have also just a little bit of housekeeping or I don't know what you want to call it, but given that my podcast was down for a few, you know, on and off, down for a couple of months, and now that it's back, I understand that some people have had troubles on Apple Podcasts. So if you're listening to this podcast on Apple, I'm sure you've worked out the issue. But for those of you that, you know, whose friends or families are constantly asking, can't find it, like I've, I've bumped into people that are like, when are you coming back? And I'm like, I've been back for weeks. And they're like, what do you mean? And I go through their app with them and I think what's happened is that there's like a downloaded section. So for people that have downloaded the podcast prior to it being taken down, those downloads still existed in people's folders. Not for everyone. I don't know exactly how this, you know, technology works, but a lot of people had my back catalogue in their downloaded album. Now my podcasts come back and I think what people are doing is refreshing the downloaded album and nothing's coming up because it's on a new, it's, you know, uploaded on a new server or whatever you want to call it. So the best way is to be searching the name from scratch. Um, Like I said, obviously you're listening to this episode, but if you can share that around to anyone that's asking the question, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it because I think that's where a lot of people are having trouble finding um, my podcast. So I would... Absolutely love your assistance on this one. Anyway, um, not much of a life update today. All is well in the world. I um, actually, bit of an update. I'm really getting into rock climbing. And by really getting into, I've gone twice. Unbelievable, I am. Unbelievable at rock climbing. And by unbelievable, I'm, I've gone from the beginner to the like semi-competent uh, and I'm loving it. So I'm doing it with my cousin Giselle every Tuesday afternoon. Oh, the best thing ever. And my sister joined us yesterday. It is just, I was craving something, a hobby, a legitimate hobby where I 
don't put pressure on myself if I if I don't do well or if I do do well. I'm there for the fun of it. If I get better at it at a fast rate, if I get better at it at a really slow rate, I just don't care. Like yesterday I did really well. Last week there were so many disasters and I had just as much fun. Um, and I was really craving a hobby that's not attached to my business because a lot of things other than socializing, you know, just in general, when you're out and about a lot of things that I do for my enjoyment, I always find a way to link it back to my business, which is great because I love my business, but I wanted something where it's absolutely no resistance, no emotion, just something where you're, it's like a meditation almost because you're so focused on the task. So indoor rock climbing is now, I feel like it's my new thing. So follow me along. My cousin, Giselle and I will be starting a TikTok called The Rock Climbing Chefs. We might change the name, but basically we want to we want to document our rock climbing from the beginning till when we're like absolutely killing it on those hectic walls where you're hanging upside down. But at the same time, we want to document our culinary training because we want to become pro chefs and both of us are horrendous, horrendous in the kitchen. So when that TikTok is up, I will let you guys know if you are ever so inclined to follow All right, so let's get into the brain fact of today. The brain fact of today is Bell's palsy and cranial nerves. Can I just say quickly, I put a call out on the D on the Do You Fucking Mind Instagram page. If you don't already follow it, it's DYFM Podcast. That's the handle. Please jump on there. We do some great interactive things. And I put a question box of what brain facts would you like to hear? Hundreds of answers. So thank you so much. And I'm just pulling all these great ideas. Some of them I've already done. Um but a lot of them are new. And so that was absolutely fantastic to get that. Anyway, brain fact of today, Bell's palsy and cranial nerves. I'm going to start with your cranial nerves. What are cranial nerves? So cranial nerves are a set of 12 nerve pairs in your brain. Okay. So everything's a pair, pretty much everything in your body, not everything, but a lot of things in your body when it comes to um, your nervous system and your you know, ascending and descending pathways, a lot of it is a pair, you know, for the two sides of the bodies, the two hemispheres. In this case, we're talking pairs. They send electrical signals to the brain, to the neck, your torso, um, and to your face. And they're responsible for a lot of your senses, things like smell, uh, hearing, taste, and also physical senses like touch and things like that in some regions of the body, like your face, your neck, and things like that. It's also responsible for movement, like controlling your eye movements, blinking, controlling your tongue and facial expressions as well. So let's go through the pairs, the names of them, all 12 and what they're responsible for. So you've got number one, the first pair, um, the first cranial nerve, and that's the olfactory nerve. That's your sense of smell. Two is your optic nerve. That's your sight, your ability to see. And sometimes you can lose your vision temporarily if your optic nerve is affected, if it's swollen or, you know, you've got a virus and it's affected, you know, with via inflammation, your optic nerve. So your eyeball could be perfectly intact. Your um, occipital lobe and your visual cortex could be perfectly intact. But if the nerve that is, you know, the, the connecting pathway of those two areas is temporarily damaged, that can be one of the causes for loss of vision. Number three, you've got the ocular motor nerve. So that moves the eyes, it controls blinking. Number four, you've got the trochlear nerve, which moves your eyes up and down and from side to side as well. 
Number five is the trigmental nerve. So that's feeling in your face, it's jaw movements, it's taste. Number six is the abducens nerve and that's also contributes to moving your eyes. Number seven is your facial nerve and that's facial expressions and also contributes to taste. Number eight is your auditory or your vestibular nerve. So that's your sense of hearing and also your balance because we know that a lot of uh, balance is controlled within the inner ear. Number nine is your glossopharyngeal nerve and that is taste and swallowing. Ten is the vagus nerve, that's heart rate and digestion. Eleven is your accessory nerve. It's also known as the spinal accessory nerve. So that has to do with movement of the shoulders um, and neck muscles. And number 12 is your hypoglossal nerve and that is tongue movement. So they are the 12 pairs of cranial nerves. And what I'm talking about today is Bell's palsy, which has to do with the seventh cranial nerve and that is your facial expressions. So Bell's palsy. What is it? So Bell's palsy is also named acute peripheral facial palsy of unknown cause. That's another name for it. And it's a condition that's going to cause a weakness of the muscles on one side of the face. Like I said, you've got pairs of everything. So with the seventh cranial nerve, it's a pair. You've got one that's focusing on one side of the face and the other cranial nerve that's focusing on the other. Normally, when you have some sort of swelling or lesion, it's going to happen in one and not necessarily the other. Same, like if, if your hand swells, it doesn't necessarily mean that your other hand is going to swell. That's why you only see it on one side of the face, okay? The cause is unknown. We've got ideas of w- why it could happen, but often it's kind of the, the exact cause is not known. What we do know is that it's due to swelling or inflammation or lesions of the nerve that controls the muscle on that one side of the face. And this could happen due to a viral infection. There's, a, there's several things that could cause it. But like I said, it's often you don't know exactly what was the cause. When you're diagnosing Bell's palsy or when a, a clinician is diagnosing Bell's palsy, there's no like identifiable cause for the weakness in the face or for like the droopiness. Um, and that's how you know it's Bell's palsy because you have to rule out a whole bunch of other things. So s- stroke has been ruled out. Um, the other nerves have also been checked and you've got to make sure that this inflammation or lesion uh, is happening only in the seventh nerve. Then you also have to look at if it's a lower motor neuron or upper motor neuron um, issue that you're having. In the case of Bell's palsy, it's the lower motor neuron that's affected. So what's the difference between an upper motor neuron versus a lower motor neuron? Upper motor neuron goes from the peripheral, for example, the cortex or the end of your nerves, to the brainstem or your spinal cord. So it's the message being sent in. Lower motor neuron begins at the spinal cord or brainstem and then goes and innovates muscle or innovates something, therefore like initiating movement. In Bell's palsy, it is defined as a lower motor neuron palsy or lower motor neuron lesion. So when you're diagnosing it, um, if you have to look at is it lower lower motor neuron or upper motor neuron to know specifically if it is Bell's palsy. Uh, a lower motor neuron is going to cause, if sorry, a lesion in the lower motor neuron will cause weakness in all of the facial expression muscles. If it were upper motor neuron, blinking would not be affected. You could still frown and there'd be some other movements as well that probably would not be affected. So you would 
rule out, you would make sure that you're ruling out upper motor neuron and ensuring that it is lower motor neuron. Um, And you would also rule out other viruses. You could check for rashes and rashes could indicate if it's something like the herpes zoster virus and things like that. Um, Certain viruses are actually the cause, may be the cause of Bell's palsy, but you want to rule out other viruses that might be affected more than just the seventh cranial nerve. Um, Also, if something has happened repeatedly, if you've gotten Bell's palsy repeatedly, it may not be specifically Bell's palsy. It could be due to Lyme's disease or it could be due to demyelination. Now, very quickly skim over demyelination for you guys in case you haven't heard episodes where I've covered it. But basically, myelination is where you've got this fatty substance that is wrapped around your uh, axons, which is the kind of the messaging part of the neuron that sends a message across from one cell, one neuron or a cell to another cell. And myelin is wrapped around that axon so it conducts information swiftly and quickly, okay? It's like an insulation made up of fatty cells. These cells are called oligodendrocytes within the central nervous system and Schwann cells in the peripheral nervous system. And they insulate the axon, basically. If you have some sort of disorder or disease that's affecting, and this could be an autoimmune disease as well in some cases, that affects the production of myelin or affects the actual myelin and is degenerating the myelin, then you're going to have conduction problems from cell to cell, okay? Uh, And you're not going to get the message across properly or you're not going to get that message across at all because you haven't kind of insulated the axon that's sending the message across. So that's something that you would, that when someone's diagnosing for Bell's palsy, you're going to look at those things and, and make sure, could this be demyelination? Could it be Lyme's disease? Could it be some other virus that might be causing this um, and rule out if it is or is not Bell's palsy? For most cases, Bell's palsy is temporary and there's like significant improvement over the following weeks after like the initial onset. A lot of people will wake up and bang, half their face is um, non-responsive, like they can't really move any of the muscles on one side of the face, their mouth, they've got droopiness in the mouth, they can't blink and things like that. Um, For a small amount of cases, people can have some of these symptoms or a a level of these symptoms for life. And it can happen more than once. But like I said earlier, that's uncommon. It's it's quite rare. 80% of cases will spontaneously improve. No medication, nothing. It can just spontaneously improve. Because if it's down to what we were talking about, if it's down to inflammation, your body is very good at trying to, you know, regulate everything and heal itself. So once it takes care of the inflammation or the swelling, then the symptoms of Bell's palsy are also going to go away. Another really effective treatment is corticosteroids within the first seven days. Uh, Prednisone, for example, which is a corticosteroid, uh, is really effective in some patients at reducing edema of the facial nerve. What is an edema? It's when there's a fluid buildup um, that can lead to, you know, the tissue of that area becoming swollen. So in this case, it's the nerve that's swelling. Now let's cover very quickly to wrap up the things that are believed to cause Bell's palsy. I mentioned earlier, it's often this acute onset and the cause is unknown, but things that could cause it are viruses such as cold sores, chickenpox, mumps, measles. Certain viruses will cause it, others may not, and it might look like Bell's palsy, but isn't. Issues with your autoimmune response. And stress is a big one because 
there's very known strong links to stress affecting your autoimmune response. So stress could then cause those issues with your autoimmune response. When you're under severe stress, your immune system is going to be weak. That's just the case in in most situations. So if something were to happen that normally your body could fight it off quite quickly where you were not under stressed, if you're then when you're not under stress, I should say, if you're then stressed, your body is going to struggle or not be able to fight something off. So this can cause your body to just not function optimally and that's when things like Bell's palsy can occur. Your body's under strain. Normally, when you get Bell's palsy, your doctor's going to tell you you absolutely need to rest. You're under a lot of stress and you need to rest and then they may likely prescribe you with some sort of corticosteroid as well. Um, So that is the brain fact of Bell's palsy. Now, let's get right into the topic of today's episode, and that is the importance of showing up for yourself. So like I said, I wanted to cover 10 ways that you can show up for yourself. And I want you to really look at this as something that you can start doing for yourself from day one. A lot of the things that I talk about are things that you can start implementing now. Some things are kind of a trial and error sort of thing, or it's something where you you say, yeah, I'm absolutely going to do this. And then you, a whole day goes past and you said, I'd fucking, I'd fuck all of that list that I said I was going to do. And that's just life when you're trying to instill a new habit, when you're trying to instill a new way of thinking or behaving or anything like that, you're going to have many slip ups along the way. So before we even talk about the 10 things of showing up for yourself, I think the number one way to show up for yourself, which is not included in my 10 ways is patience, patience, patience with yourself. Okay. If you are not patient, I'm going to use the analogy that I always use because fucking I'm repeating myself, but it works. You would never, if you had never trained, you would not go into the gym and look at that hundred kilos that's racked up on a barbell and think, absolutely, that looks like me. I'm fucking, that's me. I'm going to lift that. And then you walk over all confident, bang, you got to lift it, can't lift it. You would not be like, oh my God, I failed. I failed. I'm never entering a gym again. It's not for me. I can't lift weights. And then you leave and you never do it again. You wouldn't do that. You absolutely wouldn't do that. You'd walk into the gym. You'd probably get a trainer or someone who's done it before to talk to you about it. You know, you'd observe other people doing it and you'd start really light. And then there'd be times where you wouldn't be along your journey to lifting hundred kilos. There'd be times where you'd have like, you absolutely wouldn't be able to hit that weight. So you'd have to regress and then you build up again and then you go a little bit further and then you regress and you go further That's the same with changing a behavior, okay? You understand that it's incremental gains, small wins on your journey to mastering something, okay? Patience, patience, patience. Understand that the way your brain works is the same way that your muscles work. Repetitive behaviors are going to instill differences and changes within your muscle just like they do within the brain. Okay, let's get into it. 10 ways of showing up for yourself. Number one. Don't put so much pressure on succeeding. I'm going to give you a little anecdote. I was talking to a friend of mine very recently and he wants to leave his job and go out on his own and do something that he's quite qualified to do. But he kept saying, you know, I'm no, I know it's going to work out. I'm just freaking out a bit and a bit stressed, a bit stressed to quit my job, but I know it's going to work out. It will, it will, it will. It has to. It, like, it, of course it's going to work out. But he's got all – he's harboring a lot of fear and stress around – jumping ship and going off and working for himself versus staying in his job, which he absolutely hates now. He's so over it. Okay. But 
The problem is that he's putting way too much stress on the outcome and he's cock blocking himself from feeling excited about the process. So I said to him, you're freaking yourself out now. Like you you can only do what you can do. You can't say it's 100% going to work out, it's going to work out because now you're loading, you're layering way too much shit onto this thing working out for yourself. Ultimately, eventually you want to work for yourself, right? That's the ultimate goal. And you also want to leave where you are at because you're not happy. So let's think about what you can do and what's in your control. You can work really hard. You can dedicate the time. You can do your best work. That's within your control. But instead, take a realistic snapshot and say, I'm leaving this job. I'm going out on my own. And if it doesn't work, I am capable as fuck. And I have the skills and resources to get another job. Okay. So the worst case scenario now has shifted. His worst case scenario was I'm leaving this job and I'm fucking going out on a limb and I either I either thrive or I fail and I'm dead. So the worst case scenario is failure. I'm failing. It doesn't work out. I'm fucked. That was his worst case scenario. And I said, shift your worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is you leave your job. You try and do this thing on your own. It doesn't work this time and you need some income. And then you just get another job. You're more than capable of getting another job. You can work for other people. You have a skill set. You have something to offer. So the worst case scenario is that you are employed somewhere else. So that way you lift the stress from yourself. You have to release the pressure from it always succeeding. Instead of thinking I have to win, you have to think I'm doing my best and I'm just going to put myself out there. And ironically, that's when you're most likely to win because you don't have this crazy amount of resistance towards that thing and fear that if you don't win, you're fucked because then you're less likely to take that leap of faith into the thing you want to do if you think that the worst case scenario is actually an unbearable thought, okay? Number two, which is kind of related, is know that you can rely on yourself, okay? You have to know that failure quote unquote failure, because I, I look at failure as something slightly different. I look at failure as more, you know, your, the things you, you, when you fail to take action on something, but something not working out the way you wanted it to is inevitable in life. Not in everything. You might have a great run for a very long time or for your entire career. And that's, I mean, more power to you if that's you. But for most people, things not working out the way you want them to work out is inevitable. Okay. Whether that be in your relationship whether that be with your friendships, career, your personal health journey, your mental health journey, fitness journey, goals, all of the above. Slip-ups, failures, quote-unquote, unsuccessful attempts at things happen all the time. If you are not ready at the time or receptive, it might not work out for you, but that doesn't mean it's not going to work out for you ever. It's this attempt just wasn't quite right. It just didn't work. Or I was being told that this is absolutely not clicking with me. It's not the thing for me. Sometimes you think something's for you and you try it out and you're resisting, resisting, really trying to force something that's not for you. And it doesn't work out on purpose, maybe because subconsciously you didn't, you made sure it didn't work out or because it was just never going to click for you like an unhealthy relationship or maybe not even an unhealthy relationship, just a relationship that's not meant to be for you or for the other person which then it's not meant to be for you. So knowing you can rely on yourself regardless of if something is unsuccessful or not is a great way to show up for yourself because you're going to look back and think, wait a minute, I'm here, I'm standing. My life's pretty, you know, there's a lot that I can be grateful for. There's a lot that I want, but there's a lot that I can be grateful for where I stand right now. 
And there's been many times where I've not succeeded in my life. Did it ruin me? No. I mean, for some people it does, but you can rebuild. And you think, okay, I'm still standing. I'm good. I still am ambitious. I still have ideas. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be listening to this right now. I still have things I want to grow on and expand and change. So obviously, that unsuccessful attempt did not break me. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. So as long as I just keep putting one foot in front of the other and taking calculated risks and taking consistent action, things are going to fall into place and some things are not. But eventually, I'm always going to be ahead of where I am right now. Okay. And that's how you can rely on yourself. Setbacks happen. Just know that it may or may not happen, but to think there is no failure. I cannot fail. I cannot. I can't. Failure is not an option. You're setting yourself up to fucking fail because then you're putting way too much stress on if I don't fail. And then you're not even enjoying the process. Number three, have a win or learn mentality. I have a whole podcast on win or learn. Every time something goes wrong, you think, right, I can learn something from this. What is that thing that I can learn? Like my friend, I said, if you go out on a limb and try something and it doesn't work, I can guarantee you, you'll learn way more from trying and not succeeding in that business that you want to launch than spending another six months or 12 months in the job that you're already at, that you're probably overqualified for. Sometimes it's worth taking that risk because you think this is either going to be a fucking win or the biggest learning curve that I'm going to reap so much out of. And I know it's scary, but guys, before I started this podcast, I... I had many, you could call them failures because they, I guess I failed at something, but more so unsuccessful attempts at a lot of things. And I was certain, I was like, this is the one, this is the next thing. And I would go and try and try and try and try and it wouldn't stick. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't stick. But from every time there was an unsuccessful attempt, I could, okay, immediately after, no, to be fair, Absolutely not. I was bummed, fucking shitty, upset, being like, oh, God, again, I have to pick myself up. Now I'm embarrassed to tell people that it didn't work or that it's not succeeding. I'm trying to act like it's succeeding, but it's absolutely not succeeding. But after I was able to look back and think, oh, my God, there's so much I learned from that. And I gained all this skill, this skill, this skill, which I'm now applying to my life now. Okay. So win or learn, win, learn, win, learn, win, learn. That's the outlook and that is how you show up for yourself. You say, this is not going to be a waste. I'm not going to tell myself I wasted my time. That's the opposite of showing up for yourself. That's you shaming yourself for what, okay? So you think, I'm going to gain out of this thing no matter what. I'm going to win or I'm going to learn. Number, number four, check in on yourself like you would for a friend. Remember to be checking in on yourself often. Ask yourself, is this working for me? Why is it working for me? Why is it not working for me? Always ask yourself why. For every question, after you give yourself a yes or a no, why? Am I happy this morning when I woke up? Have I woken up happy and anxious free? Yes. Why? Because I'm doing things that make me feel fulfilled because I'm feeling on, I'm feeling on purpose at the moment. I'm in a good groove. Uh, and that's how you start to appreciate the things in your life. I'm, I'm in a great space with my partner. I'm grateful for my job. If you wake up and you think, I woke up with instant anxiety. Why? Because there's this fucking issue that I'm having with the person I'm sleeping next to and I can't seem to shake it. What is that? Why? And you keep asking yourself, check in on yourself. I'm feeling exhausted. Why am I feeling exhausted? So often, you'll be surprised how little people ask themselves questions. Have a conversation with yourself, either in the morning, which is a great time to do it because your mind is relatively clear. 
of, you know, you've just had a whole night's sleep. You're, you wake up in a relatively, not for everyone, but relatively neutral emotional state unless you've got a big, you know, thing that's going on in your life. Or at the end of the day where you can reflect on the day, okay? So just like you would, if you see your friend stressing out hard, you would sit them down and be like, what, how can I help you? How can I relieve your stress right now? You could ask that to yourself. Number five, put your primary needs above other people's secondary needs. And I got this from my sister and it's gold, so I use it all the time now. Being a martyr will get you nowhere. You have to understand what your primary needs are and you should not be abandoning your primary needs as things that are important for your health, for your mental health, for your you know, your non-negotiables for you to be happy in life. I'm not talking about the peripheral things that are the cherry on top. I'm talking about your non-negotiables. These are your primary needs. You don't need to be putting that ahead of other people's secondary needs. So for example, if you have to train every single day or if you have to go to this meditation class every single day because it's your non-negotiable, it's what keeps you in balance, it is your thing, it is your ritual, it is gold for you to do that. And your friend says, hey, if you're not doing anything, do you mind driving me up to the shops? You don't do that. You don't say, oh, okay, and not do that thing. You say, I've, I've blocked that time out. However, if you're going to go and do, you know, whatever it is that you're doing and your friend's like, oh, my God, I need someone to take me to the hospital now. I'm really worried. Blah, blah, then, yeah, you're going to drop what you do and you put your friend's primary needs over something that is, you know, not urgent, okay? So that's the difference. There's a lot of people that are so hell-bent on people-pleasing that their primary needs go out the window because they're trying to please this person. Your friend might have just said, oh, if you've got nothing to do, do you mind giving me a lift? But you have something to do. Or it could be someone who's always wanting to come over. It's okay to say, look, not today. I don't have the capacity today. You don't have to even give a reason. A lot of people think, yeah, but what excuse am I going to give? Some people feel like they're entitled to your time. And some people are quite pushy about being entitled to your time. And when they know you're not working and when they know that you don't have uh, one of the main responsibilities that they're aware of that you have to deal with, they're going to think, well, your free time is time that I can access. You just say, I don't have the capacity. And they can do with that information whatever the fuck they want, okay? Take that fucking piece of information, package it up nicely, shove it up your asshole. I don't want to hang out with people right now, okay? That's perfectly fine. That is a great way to show up for yourself. So like I said, it's put your primary needs above others' secondary needs. If someone has an emergency, you show up for them, okay? Listen to that other episode. If it's not an emergency and this is a non-negotiable that will help your mental health and to, to make you a happy person, you don't have to do it. Your primary needs are your primary needs. Number six, argue for yourself and against yourself. On your journey to self-development, to a healthier, happier version of yourself, it's going to take you being on your side or, or on the side of your new self and not on the side of your old self. And what I mean by that is normally our old version of ourself, you know, whether it's yesterday or a year ago, five years ago, carries with it, if it's a version that we're trying to change, carries with it some negative beliefs about ourselves. And what I mean by negative beliefs, it's those like statements that stop you from doing something, statements that make you play it small, that come from 
protecting yourself but more from a fear-based place that don't actually have a good enough foundation for you to believe that. It's come kind of you've just accepted it as a thought you're going to accept and you've kind of replayed that again and again and it's really stopped you from doing the things that you want to do in your life, okay? So when you're becoming this new self, this new, this new and improved version of yourself, you have to get really good at arguing for yourself. Don't argue for your limitations. Argue for yourself, okay? And you've got to get good. There's going to be a battle, a back and forth battle within yourself. Part of you is going to be banging on, banging that old drum again and again of what you can't do and why. And you have to be willing to show up to the party and debate and put in the time and effort. A lot of this is done through writing. I've spoke about this recently. I can't remember which episode, but where you negate the things that you'd no longer want to believe in. If you went to an event today and, or yes, whenever, you went to an event and you said, I'm going to go there and I'm going to socialize. You get to the event, you're standing in the corner the whole time. You're like, fuck this, fuck this, fuck this. And so you leave. You could then at the end of the day think, all right, never going to an event again. That was absolutely unbearable. I hate it. I'm not social. I can't socialize. I have social anxiety. This is horrendous. You could say that. Or you could sit down and think, okay, what was I feeling? And what about that is the truth? And what about that is not the truth? Did I have any control over that situation? Could something have been done? Could something not have been done? There are situations where you rock up to an event and no one wants to talk to you and it feels uncomfortable. That happens. It's fine. It's not like, oh, but the most confident person that wouldn't happen to. It can happen to anyone. But you've just got to understand how can I argue in my favor about what went down? How can I make myself feel more comfortable about that situation? So next time that situation arises, I'm not horrified to walk into a situation like that. Okay? Number seven, ask for help. And ask for help, not when shit hits the fan. I mean, of course, you should be asking for help when shit hits the fan. But feel free to ask for help just in general. Because when you ask for something, people don't have to say yes, you know, you're just asking. But you'll be surprised at how much people do want to help you and just don't realize that you need the help or don't realize that they could be stepping in. A lot of people want to be there for other people, especially the people that love you and care about you. You know, if my cousin or my sister or my best friends or whoever just says, I just need like 30 minutes to myself. Would you mind doing this for me if you have the capacity? And if I wouldn't be able to do it, I would genuinely say, look, I wish I could, but today, blah, blah, blah. But in general, I can be like, you know what? Absolutely. Absolutely, I can do that. Do you want me to pick something up for you along the way? Do you need me to pick up, you know, a bit of groceries for you or dinner? Do you need me to blah, blah, blah? You know, like my friend, when I, you know, when I was stressed, she was helping out with, like Liv, she was helping out with Habib, my dog. But then she's also asked me since then when I'm not stressed, if you ever need me, like if you need me to take Habib for a few hours, you know, it's fine. So she's extended the offer. You can ask for help from people and it's really, really nice when someone kind of preempts when you may or may not need help and just puts it out there and asks for it. Sometimes just reaching out and saying, do you have a spare moment to do this, okay? Set it up in a way that people can say no if they want but it's fine to say, I just need 30 minutes to myself. If you are, if your partner and yourself have children and you feel like some of the things that were really important to you before having children, you're not doing anymore, like alone time, that's something that you discuss with your partner and you say what you ask them and you tell them, 
what to you is something that you really, 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 really value and you feel that you're not getting enough of anymore because the dynamic has changed. And is this something that you can support each other in? You could say, you know, my 30 minutes of alone time is something that I miss horribly and I just want to sit outside and read a book alone. You know, that's something that you could talk about and make it happen for each other, you know, but if you don't ask, it's not going to happen, okay? You have to learn to ask. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Remember that. It is totally okay to ask. It doesn't mean that you're helpless. You are just asking. Number eight, stand up for yourself even when it's uncomfortable. And standing up for yourself comes in many different ways. It could be you straight up saying, I disagree with that. That is not what I believe in. This is actually what I believe in. Don't put words in my mouth. All those things. Like you could fully just absolutely say how you're feeling. You could argue your own point. You could you could tell someone when they're saying an untruth about you. But another really good way to stand up for yourself is deciding and stating that you're not going to engage in an argument. For example, if you're having a conversation with someone who disagrees with you on a particular topic, but they're always trying to spark a debate about this topic that matters to you and you know that you disagree on that topic, next time they try and bring it up or ask you questions about it, you can show up for yourself simply by saying, I'm not having this conversation again. Not, oh, look, I'd rather not talk about it. I am not is the, is the wording that you're going to use. Not, oh, look, do you mind if we don't? No, I can't. I'm not having this conversation. Next topic. Thank you. Some people love to just press other people's buttons and like, and they, they might be having a good time, but sometimes people don't realize when you're not having a good time. So if there's something that you don't want to engage in, you don't, and you feel like, oh my God, but it really exhausts my soul to be arguing with this person about something that's really important to me. And they're just trying to poke holes in it. And I can't, I'm exhausted. You don't have to. Showing up for yourself can mean you saying, I'm not engaging not, I'd rather not, I don't want to, would you mind if we didn't? You are stating a fact. I will not engage. We're not having this conversation, period. You can talk to a wall if it so pleases you, but not me. Because you can acknowledge that sometimes trying to stand up for yourself by debating against someone that's not interested in listening to you is actually more exhausting than just saying, I'm going to save my energy for me. Okay. So that's, that standing up for yourself does not mean having to debate, but still stand up for yourself. Protect your energy, okay? That aura that's around you, protect it. Number nine, honor yourself. Remember the promises you made to yourself and honor them. And I'm not talking about, well, yes, I'm talking about all the promises, like I'm going to wake up at five o'clock every morning, but more so the promises you make to yourself when you identify that something's wrong. For example, If you're having a really hectic week and at the end of the week you said, I've not had one night where I've just chilled at home. Not one. I stretch myself too thin. I'm constantly saying yes to everything. I'm a yes person. Yes, 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 yes. And then I give, 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 give. And a lot of them are friendly invitations and they're really kind. But at the end of the week, I'm depleted. I'm drained. Sometimes I just have to politely decline an invitation for the sake of my own, you know, health. Okay, so you get to the point at the end of the week and you're feeling that way. Then you have the weekend where it's fun, 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 fun. You know, you're out of your normal routine. Monday rolls around, Tuesday you're saying yes, yes, yes to all these things. You have to remember how you were feeling at the time where you were most depleted and think, remember when I was feeling that way last week and the week before and the week before that? Maybe I need to listen to myself and give myself the chance, like listen and show up for myself by saying, no, I promised myself I would have at least one night at home. I'm going to do that and I know I'm going to feel good. 
okay? So it doesn't have to be, I promised I would stick to going to the gym every single day. No, because like I said, that's something that you you get better at and it's like a working progress. But in things where you recall you were suffering and you said, I'm not going to do this anymore, try and honor that. The times where you're screaming out for help from yourself, when you're begging yourself to help yourself, honor that. Honor yourself in those moments. That's one of the best ways to show up for yourself. And number 10, I've kind of already covered number 10, but number 10 is genuinely be forgiving and okay with failure and not just failure, but be okay with embarrassments, be okay with slip-ups. You know, you have to, you have to know that you can enter a situation, an encounter, and that there could be a whole, a whole plethora of outcomes And sometimes it's the one you want and sometimes it's something you absolutely did not expect, but it's okay. It's okay to be embarrassed. What you think is embarrassing is always going to be so much more embarrassing in your head than it is to the other person. What you beat yourself up about, about an embarrassing thing that you did last week, last year, 10 years ago, the other people have probably, if they thought about it, they've probably entertained it for a couple of seconds again. People don't really think about other people's embarrassing moments either at all or no way near to the extent of the individual who embarrassed themselves. Don't let avoidance of embarrassment, avoidance of failure, avoidance of a slip up stop you from taking action because then you're going to be living a life that's so sheltered and that's not going to be enjoyable either. Better you embarrass yourself but get to the next level and then have a slip up but get to the next level and then have a quote-unquote failure and then get to the next level than sit here all sheltered thinking, oh, well, at least I didn't embarrass myself. (gasps) At least I didn't fail. You're failing right now. You're failing to take action, okay? Do something with your life. And those things are inevitable. And if you say, look, the payment for growth and for achieving the the, the feeling that I want to achieve and for the wins of life, the, the, the payment for that is slip-ups, is embarrassment, is failure, is is things not working out on occasion, okay? It, it's peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, wins and losses, okay? But you're on this upward trajectory while those peaks and valleys are happening. And it might not feel like it at the time, but when you get to 5, 10, 15 years, you look back and you realize that you have done this upward trajectory. But don't trade not ever feeling these uncomfortable feelings where things haven't worked out the way you wanted to for not taking action. It's not worth it, okay? So before I go into quickly to wrap up the episode, before I go into what it doesn't mean, I'll quickly wrap up the 10 ways. Number one, stop putting so much pressure on succeeding. Number two, knowing that you can rely on yourself, okay? Number three, have the productive outlook of a win or learn mentality. Number four, check in on yourself and ask yourself questions. Ask yourself if you're okay or not and why. Number five, put your primary needs above other people's secondary needs. Number six, arguing for yourself against your old self. So become a really good debater and don't get carried away with deep emotional negative thoughts about yourself. Number seven, ask for help and not necessarily when shit hits the fan. Just ask. If you don't ask, you don't receive. Number eight, Stand up for yourself, even when it's uncomfortable, and you don't have to argue for yourself. You just have to know when to draw that line, putting that boundary in place. Number nine, honor the promises you made to yourself, especially at the times where you were really suffering and you were screaming out for help from yourself. Honor those promises. And number 10, 
become comfortable and be okay with failure, embarrassment and slip-ups, okay? Now let's quickly, very quickly go into what showing up for yourself is not. Now, self-care and self-love and doing these things for yourself often will get mistaken for behaviors that are actually not contributing to self-care or self-love. Now these behaviors are not in isolation. They're not bad things. I'm not saying, oh my God, you don't do this. Absolutely go ahead and do them. But a lot of the pe- a lot of people who do this will do something and say, self-love, but it's actually not helped their self-love. And there was nothing wrong with that behavior. But don't think you've gone and done something for yourself, self-love, and then go and slip into these really stressful lifestyle patterns again, thinking, well, I did that for my self-love. Now I've got to go back to all the work. For example, thinking I'm going to take 30 minutes off and scroll on social media. That's not self-love. You are pacifying yourself from an unpleasant thing. It is what it is. You going on a shopping spree, that's not self-love. You have pacified either boredom or stress and you've you've distracted yourself and it felt good in the moment. You've got to ask yourself, this thing that I'm doing right now, is does it feel good in the moment and it doesn't feel good the very next day or a week later or whatever? Or does it feel good in the moment and I feel good after and after and after and, and the more I do it, the, the better I feel kind of thing. That's kind of how you know the difference. It's okay to engage in those behaviors. Nothing wrong with going on a shopping spray. Absolutely love that for yourself. But it's not a self-love behavior. Don't confuse them. If you're going to go on the shopping spree, unbelievably great for you. Love that so much for you. But now you still have to go and do that thing that's going to contribute to your self-love. You haven't ticked that box yet. You still need to do something that's going to help you, whether it's meditate, spend some alone time, do something that's going to calm your nervous system down, breath work, spending quality time with somebody, whatever it is that's going to help you genuinely feel that sense of love in your life. Don't confuse it, okay? The next thing that it's not is don't label things that should be your bare minimum as luxury. You taking time out for yourself for 30 minutes is not a luxury. Don't label it as a luxury. A lot of people, oh, I've got kids now, that's a luxury. It's not a fucking luxury, okay? You might not be able to do it, but it's important. So don't label it as a luxury. If you haven't had time to yourself, I'm not saying because I personally don't have children. I'm not saying, I know what it's like. I don't know what it's like, but don't tell yourself it's a luxury. It's not a fucking luxury. It's very important that you do it. And hopefully you have a network around you that might be able to assist you with this. But to say that's now a luxury, you're kind of lessening the importance of that thing in your life when it is important and you deserve it. And we have this loaded idea of what the word luxury means. We think it's something of excess, something that's like, you know, the the icing on the cake, the unnecessary. It's this abundance, extra abundance or, you know, of money or jewelry or whatever. Alone time or time with your friends or the things that are important to you, your non-negotiables, should not be mistaken as a luxury. Things might happen in your life where your circumstances change and you don't have access or as easy access to those things that matter to you. But please don't tell yourself that it's something that no longer, you know, is something that you can have. You should always be acknowledging what is truly, truly important to you. Whether you have access to it right now or not, you have to know what those non-negotiables are or what those really important things to you are. Because don't Don't say to yourself, ah, alone time is a thing of the past now. It's a thing of the past. And then watch yourself kind of spiral and struggle. This is one of the times when you need to turn around and ask people for help and say, I'm not getting this. That really means a lot to my mental health. I need it. Who can help me? Okay. Things like that. That's, that's what 
isn't showing up for yourself, labeling things as luxury and telling yourself that something's self-love when it's actually a pacifying behavior. Good times. All right, now um, we're going to go straight into the listener question. Okay, listener question. I have a listener question, please. I have a best friend whom I love dearly. We have been crazy close for years, going through many difficult times together. She suffers from generalized anxiety, not on medication, and I'm sad to say it's having a toll on our relationship. She pushes and pulls me back and forth constantly depending on her moods. She's very anxious and often misinterprets what I say as something offensive to her, when in fact I'm talking about random things that have nothing to do with her at all. We have even been at the same social events and she won't see me or come and talk to me. She says it's because she's anxious, but she's hanging around other people. She's hurting me. I feel hurt, confusion and frustration. I've talked to her about it before, but we end up fighting. She can't see how she's hurting me. She blames everything on anxiety. My question is, at what point do I make boundaries for myself? I feel guilty when I step back, thinking I should be supportive and helping her through her anxiety. But the truth is that her push-pull behaviours is affecting me emotionally and is making me feel insecure about our relationship. It's giving me anxiety and I don't know where I stand from day to day. What hurts the most is when she won't see me because she needs space and is anxious, but she'll hang out with other people. Thank you. Love your show, by the way. Love, love, love it. Okay, so this is a really difficult situation, obviously, especially because you said at the start that you it, she's your best friend, okay? So it is very strange, you know, to have a best friend where you go to an event, your best friend, and they're not going to come up and talk to you, and you know, but they're talking to other people. Now, I think the first thing that you need to know is that if you need to walk away from this friendship, you can do that. You know, it's really hard when someone's suffering from anxiety, but at the end of the day, you if you're trying to help, if you're trying to be helpful and nothing, you're getting nothing back in return, you cannot be someone's punching bag. You can't, okay? You can't do that to yourself. It's not helpful for you. It's obviously not helpful for the friendship at all. You being there and her pushing and pulling you away, I can guarantee you that's not helping her anxiety at all. Whether it's anxiety, whether it's something other than anxiety that's layered into that, you know, th there could be many things that are going on in her life causing these behaviours, whether it's justified or unjustified, I don't know. But the fact is that you sticking around for this push-pull, being there when she wants you, pushing her away, that's not doing her anxiety or her any favours, okay? It's not helping her get any better with, you know, it, with her journey. I don't know what she's doing at the moment uh, to treat her anxiety. I know she, you said she's not on medications. I don't know if she's doing any behavioral interventions at all. I don't know. But if you find that this just all gets too much and she's ignoring you one day, pulls you in the next day, argues with you when you try and, you know, offer help or you try and, you know, address the issue, there's really, if, if you're doing everything that you're saying you're doing, there's really nothing you can do. You're trying to help. You're trying to be there for her, but she then gets angry at you and she pushes you away. Do not feel guilty if you decide, I can't do this anymore. I cannot, you know, have this friendship where I now have severe anxiety because she's, you know, I don't know how she's going to react day to day. Okay. So that's the first thing you need to understand. You are not just because she's going through her own, you know, situation, you don't have to be somebody's punching bag. Okay. You are not, um, you don't owe her that is what I'm trying to say. What I would recommend you do if you do want to mend this is that obviously 
talking about it, you end up fighting. So what I would recommend you do is find a way to really, really calmly approach her one last time about this and put all the cards on the table. And the best way to do that is through a letter, okay? Because given that she's got anxiety and given that there's obviously issues with conflict and not wanting conflict and this and that and clearly you end up fighting if you try and talk about it, you approaching her face-to-face about this is probably not going to be beneficial anymore. Like you've tried it, you've gone there, it's not worked for you. So writing a letter is by far the best thing to do because it allows her to read it, not have to react instantaneously, um, not have to come up with an answer straight away. And it also gives her time to process everything that you're saying. In that letter, I would state everything that how this has affected you. I would state everything that you've noticed. And I would also state everything that you've done to try and be of assistance. Then I would state what it is that you want out of this. Because you've got to, like, there's no point reaching out and being like, oh, there's a problem, you fix it. You've got to reach out and say, hey, this is the problem. This is what I think, you know, should happen. Like, I want you to help me help you. I want this. I want whatever. And then I want you to offer up a space to be like, what do you think is a solution? Or also ask her, how do you think I'm interpreting this relationship and how would you interpret it the other way around? And what do you want from me as a friend? Because we need to meet in the middle here if this friendship is going to, you know, continue. Because I need to know what you want from me and what you want from this friendship and you need to know what I want. And if some of us, if we're willing to budge a little bit, great. If we're not willing to budge, then we have to go our separate ways. Because at the end of the day is if I'm causing you the anxiety and when you go to an event, you don't want to speak to me, maybe it is best that we, that we part ways. And here I am fucking beating a dead horse trying to, trying to make you be my friend, but maybe that's not something that you want. So if you want to be my friend, then we need to meet in the middle here and we need to create some boundaries. But maybe you don't even want a friendship because you keep pushing me away, you keep doing all these things and I'm going to respect that and I am going to walk away out of respect for you and out of respect for the friendship that we did have that was so good. But you need to answer these questions and if you're not willing to answer these questions, then I'm going to respectfully step away, okay? Because you, like I said at the start, it is absolutely not your responsibility, it's not your job and you are not in a position where you have to be there for her to treat you however she wants. I understand she might have anxiety, but that's not an excuse to treat your best friend, quote-unquote best friend, like shit. It's absolutely not an excuse, okay? Especially when you're trying to offer her help. If you're in a situation where you're trying to offer her help and she's like, no, 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 and she's using anxiety as the reason why she's treating you poorly, then you are completely in your right to leave, okay? You're not abandoning her, but you have to stick up for yourself at one point and you have to respect yourself because this is going to cause you um, a lot of emotional problems as well if you keep trying to entertain this as a friendship when it's probably no longer a friendship. Anyway, I hope that did help. Just write the letter, write a draft, kind of finesse it over a couple of days and then send it to her or give it to her in person, piece of paper, send it in an email, however the fuck you want, whatever you feel most comfortable doing it. Um And I think that – and you can even warn her that you're sending her, like text her saying, hey, I've just sent you an email. Um, I'd love for you to just read it in your own time and, you know, reply when you're ready. So it's not just a random message that's just a – like a random email that she's gotten. Anyway, I hope that helped. That is it for today's episode. As always, guys, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain, don't take shit from anyone, and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care.